This episode of History Replays Today, the Richmond History Podcast, is brought to you by River City Segs, the premier Segway tour company in Richmond, the only Segway tour company in Virginia with an indoor Segway-specific training area. The training area is housed inside the historic 1884 Firehouse, which is in, located in Richmond's Shaco Bottom, a block off the Farmer's Market, right across from the Adam Craig House. Come on in, check it out. Ride around. We got a ramp in there. Make sure you can tackle the hills here in Richmond. You can find out more information at rivercitysegs.com. Check out River City Segs on Facebook, on Twitter at 804SEGS. SEGS is S E G S, River City Segs. And always practice safe SEGS. This is History Replays Today, the Richmond History Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Jeff Major. I have Paul DePasquale on the show. He's a sculptor here in Richmond. He's best known for the Arthur Ashe Monument on Monument Avenue, Connecticut, which most people know as the Indian from the Diamond, the, the Headsman on Browns Island. But he's done much more, um, many, many more sculptures in the city and you know around Virginia. Uh, he's recently completed a, a gigantic monument to uh, Neptune um, down at the boardwalk in Virginia Beach and, and a police monument down there at Virginia Beach boardwalk as well. Uh, we sat down in his uh, the second story of his Fulton Hill Studios. Windows were open. It was a beautiful, beautiful day. One of the first really nice days that we've had in Richmond this year. And because of that, the windows were open. You'll hear some bird sounds in the background. You'll also hear you know, a couple dogs bark. Um, those are his dogs. You'll see him quite often walking around the east end of Richmond or you know, just around the, around the city in general with those dogs. Um, but, um, but his studio is pretty special. Um, he actually told me about uh, he built the studio partially out of uh, old pieces from the Churchill train tunnel. Um, I guess the railroad, when they were done with it, you know, after the collapse and the whole thing, they just pulled up all the ties and everything and piled them in front of the, the eastern entrance so that no one would go in there. And then at some point they were cleaning it up and he heard about it and went down there and said, hold on, give me some of that. I, I want, I'd like to build a studio out of it. Um, I think that's pretty awesome. As well inside there, uh, I got to see well before anybody else. Uh, or before most people, uh, the, gosh, what, it's about seven foot tall statue of Jimmy Dean. That thing is pretty cool. Uh, I just unveiled that at the Jimmy Dean Music Festival, first annual here in Richmond. Um, but uh, but I, I did decide to talk to him after some silly website put the Arthur Ashe Monument um, on the list of the top ten scariest or something like that monuments in the country. But knowing Paul... Uh, I, I knew he could handle the heat, so I actually asked him about um, you know what he thought about that, and he started telling me a shorter version of the story he's going to tell us on, here on the podcast about how Arthur Ashe was built. It was far more interesting than I than I thought it was going to be. Um, once I started asking him more, he was telling me about Connecticut and um, the headsman, and man, I was like, this is this is a great story. We're going to tell that. 
Um, and he's going he's gonna to tell it to us right here on the podcast. But, um, but anyways, uh, it's a super interesting conversation, and, and it goes a little long, so I'm not going to talk too much longer. Um, but there are some pictures uh, of, of his sculptures, um, of, of a T-shirt that he talks about, uh, and I'm going to post all those at historyreplacetoday.org. Um, but uh, let me know what you think about the podcast. Uh, HistoryReplaceTheDay.org is a great place to do that. Uh, you can do it on Facebook, on Twitter, on uh, Tumblr. You'll you'll get a lot of uh, you know updates on what's happening with the show there. Different uh, you know side comments that that I've been thinking about, or uh, you know interesting things that I can find. I'll post there as well. Um, also, you know, suggest a guest. Should suggest a topic, uh, and. Uh, I am going to be actually, I'm actually kind of excited about this. I'll be coming up on the one year anniversary of the podcast very shortly, uh, the July 1st episode. Uh, I'm trying to put something together that'll be a little different. We'll see. We'll see if I can pull it off. Um, but that means 24 hours, more than 24 hours of this podcast that you can hear. Um, and if, and if you haven't, haven't listened to any of them, go back and listen to them all. If this is the first one you're listening to do that. Go back and check that out. Uh, but anyways, I started talking to Paul, um, asking about how he actually got into making public art in the first place. My career in public art uh, works because it is involved in the social aspects of public art and cult the culture, uh, social and cultural aspects, I guess, um, that interests me anyway. But while at UVA, I, um, after um, being a, a uh, pre-med major, thinking I was going to be a veterinarian, I ended up in sociology, but um, uh, in anthropology. Mm -hmm. And then I minored in public art. I'm sorry, I minored in art, but I was interested in public art and architecture. Mm -hmm. So post-UVA, I spent a year studying architecture in Boston, and uh, then I did my graduate work in sculpture at VCU, but I moved to D.C. because I um, had had enough of Richmond. It was, yeah. was mid-70s. It was white flight. I, was, I had gone through graduate school as a substitute teacher in Richmond Public Schools, and I found the kids to be great and the administration to be horrible. Right. <laughs> So, yeah. um, and you know, Richmond, Richmond was difficult, um, socially at that time. So mm -hmm. I, I wanted to get out of Richmond and DC, um, DC was better in some ways. Um, but I also ran in different circles because, mm -hmm. um, right. I taught at Northern Virginia Community College okay. when I was there. Um, but my interest in, in, uh, the history of, where I live now in Fulton Hill and in Richmond um, is entangled or um, or is reflected in my interest in public art as well. Okay. And that's that's what got me back to Richmond essentially because while I was in D.C. Um, I became obsessed with the idea of doing a monument to the Native American which was not represented anywhere in D.C. in statuary form. Yeah. So I got Still this... Still not to my knowledge. Well... There might be something, but... It, now it's changed because there's the American Indian Museum. Oh, right, right. So that's a big deal. But this is... Uh, 
This was uh, 1981 when I became obsessed with this idea of doing a monumental rooftop mobile sculpture that uh, that was really designed around a site um, of a two-story building that overlooked Rock Creek Park, which of course is former Indian territory, mm -hmm. the tributary to the Potomac or Potomac. Which, frankly, isn't all of this. You know, right? It is. <laughs> a, you know, because it's a, one of the really weird things about Richmond is we have gone to great pains to document all of our history, except we've done a great job of erasing anything that has to do with any kind of Native Americans. Uh, well, I'll tell you that we've named an expressway out of after it, but like, yeah. But to jump out of the con the uh, context of our conversation a little bit, um, we're we being attacked. Um, those like, are my watchdogs. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, when I had to move the Indian away from the diamond, mm -hmm. um, one of the, I had for a day active interest by, um, Mead West Vaco. Mm -hmm. They, the, the president, um, Jim Buzzard was entertaining the idea and, and um, I can't remember the director of, uh, international relations name Linda her name is Linda Schneider mm -hmm. they like the idea of putting uh, Connecticut on their three-story roof that's the, the short building in front of the big building okay and it would overlook the uh, fall of the James Fountain that's at the uh, the roundabout there in front of the Midwest Faco building yeah on the James River title on the falls of the James. Yeah, right, like right in front of Brown's Island there. Yeah, right? I was going to say Tidal Basin, but that's downriver. Mm -hmm. So, um, one of the reasons they couldn't do it is that uh, the owners of that land, the two Bruces, uh, said that this is not Indian territory, that's downriver in Jamestown. This land is about slavery and the Civil War. Wow. And they didn't want an Indian there. Yeah. And I mean, so, you know, they couldn't do it. Sure. I, guess, I mean, if you, you put a label on it, I guess if you only have one label, <laughs> I mean, but, I guess maybe, but, you know, you can, you know, they can overlap. Well, nothing against the landowners, but it, that's a typical attitude where uh, it reflects to the victor goes the spoils, right. which is to say um, the people who get to write the history are the people who won. Sure. Sure. And of course, that is my niche and my interest in public sculpture uh, in the sense that I want to acknowledge uh, the historical reality as best I can, given the people who made the mark or created the story. Sure, sure. So that's why the Indian got done, and the Indian, the Indian, however, ended up in Richmond on account of uh, it was leased by Best Products in right. D.C. Because it was supposed to go on a building in D.C., right? Like there. Initially and, designed for that. And, and what happened with that? Um, well, what happened to it is that the story of the Indian got picked up by the Washington Post because I was selling etching dividends to fund the production of the piece. Mm -hmm. So I sold 50 prints for uh, $50 each with, I'm sorry, for $200 each with the understanding that when I built the sculpture, you get your money, when I sold the sculpture, you get your money back and that would allow me to build it. That right. $10,000 would uh, double the money I'd saved up to finish this sure. sculpture. 
So that what, what time period is this? This is like the that late was, 70s. Uh, 81. 81, 18. okay. Mm-hmm. And so I, I raised $10,000 selling these prints. Mm-hmm. And um, that story was printed in the Washington Post. And then Post sold it to Knight, Knight Ritter, who put it, who sold it again to the New York Times. So there I was in the front of the Washington Talk page and my studio sitting on the Indian that was still being fiberglassed. Right. And um, when you get in the New York Times, people want to talk to you. Sure. But it fleshed out the person who really owned the building where I was going to put it, who was the father of the son. And the father didn't want an Indian on right. his roof. And uh, so at that point, I had to find a new site, and Best Products had been interested in my artwork. Yeah. And they put it on their roof and leased it for two years. Uh, but wait, if you want to go that way, because this thing's huge. 20, 25 feet between elbows. 25 and, feet between elbows. Right. So you had a studio that saw, I mean, or were they in pieces? How many pieces is it? It's five pieces. Five pieces. And um, it was designed to... Um, it was designed for the site at Connecticut and Calvert Street, which is overlooking Rock Creek Park. Okay. And it, it was a two-story building with a four-story building directly adjacent, and then behind it, a six-story building. So it had this canyon kind of effect. Mm-hmm. But the purpose was really to get in the face of the Washington Redskins and all this, uh, not exactly anti-Indian, but... I mean, you know, you got to face it. Even back then, it was obvious that the Redskins, as a as a title for a football team, was a, not a good idea. Maybe it sure. wasn't a bad idea then. But, you know, if someone had uh, created the Baltimore Mulattoes, then maybe it would have been right. more obvious. But, sure. um, you know, I, so... The sculpture came up for a lot of reasons, but sure. from a marketing point of view, um, to say this is a Native American in the capital of America was eminently quotable, and it was absolutely my introduction into the value of public art uh, if you hit a market need, and the need was to acknowledge Native Americans in the capital yeah. of America. But had you even seen it together? Like, yeah, a, I and, built it in one piece in my studio. Oh, and then and then cut it into pieces. Yeah, yeah. Oh and wow. The, okay. And the, and the studio was a four car garage. Okay. All right. Fair so, enough. So uh, it was elbow to elbow. It pretty much hit the walls. Right. In the garage. But <laughs> and it's I fiberglass have, covering. It it was carved in uh, a foam isocyanate foam. Okay. And um, and then and then layered in fiberglass and epoxy resin, mm-hmm. and then sawed up and then lap jointed together so it could come apart and go together. And the idea was that if I put it up in in Washington, it would get national exposure and some place in America would want it. Right, okay. That was the idea. So it worked, except it took longer, and then it ended up um, as a mascot for a baseball team again, which yeah. was not the, and- the best of ideas, but... <laughs> I have well, to well, I got I got distracted there because so so and and how does it get to best though? So it gets so it gets the kibosh in DC, right? They don't want anything. That guy doesn't want anything to do with it. So how how does best get involved? Well, I I um best products in was Richmond based and um, Sydney and Francis Lewis were 
um, were good at looking at Richmond artists. And they had sent Fred Brandt to my studio to look at some of my larger-than-life fiberglass pieces. Mm -hmm. And they decided that they were too much to take care of. They weren't interested in... They almost were interested in the the Diana nine-foot blue-skinned ballet-slash-javelin-thrower piece. (laughs) But um, they weren't. They didn't buy it. So... But that on the heels of that, I sent them a model of Connecticut, which was an inch equals a foot. So they had this 25-inch between elbows uh, model that got put on Sidney Lewis's desk. Mm-hmm. And he came back from Europe and said, I like it. Let's do something with it, is what I was told. And it was sent to uh, Ed Slipick, who now writes for Style Magazine mm-hmm. and has taught and um, also had a a career for a long time as an editor of a couple of startup publications in Richmond. Mm-hmm. At the time, Ed was in charge of the real estate division and uh, flying around the world, but he had a building in Washington, D.C. that sat on the Beltway, and um, he said to Mr. Lewis, I think we've got a site for it. So that's where it went, and the deal I made with him was I would put it up for six months, and if they liked it, they would rent it, and if they didn't, I'd take it down. So we hauled it up by hand, uh, the six of uh, the five pieces by hand, which yeah. was very dramatic. Yeah. Uh, got on local radio and television, but it also got interest in CBS, ABC, and NBC. And when we unveiled it, they all showed up, and wow. they they gave it national coverage, and they. They also gave coverage to other Best Products uh, buildings and artwork that, uh, at the time, they had done buildings that were artwork by Jim Wines and a number of yeah. um, artists. And um, they were very happy. And so they didn't wait six months. They began renting it, leasing it from me right away. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Except the guy who had the original building. Right. Uh, well, I know, guess maybe he does win. I don't uh, know. Well, interestingly, um, the building adjacent to it, right behind it, the four-story building, mm-hmm. um, un- unbeknownst to me when I was planning to put Connecticut there, um, was planning to put a mural of Marilyn Monroe there. It was owned, The building was owned by Charles I Hair Salon. Okay. And John Bailey, who now lives in Richmond um, and has shown here, did the mural and that's how John and I met each other was over the mural because if the Indian went in, he, he agreed. See, while I was planning to do this and he heard, he heard about it, he and Charles, uh, Stinton was Charles the first last name, um, put up the mural. They, wow. they were able to paint it in a week and it's a beautiful, uh, portrait head of Marilyn Monroe. Sure. But they agreed that they would cover it for the six months the Indian was up. Ah. Uh, because they didn't, it would have been too jarring. Right. Uh, <laughs> It'd be pretty weird. <laughs> yeah. And it wouldn't have made sense. But, um, and that was my plan was to put it up for six months and find a, a location for it. Sure. Due to the publicity I was certain it would get. But I, I had quit my full time teaching job at Northern Virginia Community College to do this. And um, it was literally, uh, you know, what they talk about when you say, uh, commit to your obsession. Right. <laughs> or you gotta be, be all committed. in. <laughs> got to be all in. 
And so you call him the Indian. His name's is his name Connecticut, right? I call him the Indian only because um, I understood from early early on that Virginia Indians are comfortable and want to be called Virginia Indians. Okay. It's not that way all around the country. Yeah. Some areas of uh, Native Americans want to be called Native Americans, sure. not Indians. Um, you know, I don't, I don't really like calling them the Brave just because of the um, seems weird. The Richmond Braves, and and it was a little bit of a rocky relationship there. Apparently, initially it wasn't. Initially, the original general manager loved the idea. But was his name originally Connecticut? Yeah, I like named, like when you first were in the garage and you were like, "It's going on Connecticut Avenue." You said, "That's his name is Connecticut." Right. So the original print was Connecticut. Okay. And, yeah, fair um, enough. Connecticut is a is an Algonquin word, mm-hmm. and it means beside the tidal flow. Right. Hence the Connecticut Indians, uh, and um, and I came to see Connecticut Avenue is uh, is about the tidal flow mm-hmm. of cars going in and cars coming out. Right, right. Same with the Beltway. So as far as I was concerned, Connecticut fit everywhere in America. Yeah. And it, and it, you know, part of the purpose right out of the gate with that sculpture was to educate people about Native Americans mm-hmm. or, or Indians. Yeah. Beyond Hollywood. Sure. And, um, so, for instance, the ring that he's wearing, which appears to be a wedding ring, is a friendship ring. Because one of the things that I uncovered um, talking, and this is probably not true across the country of all the Indians, because the reason there are different tribes is that tribes of Indians don't get along. Right. It's important to remember that. Different cultures. Different They're cultures. Different, just like right. different countries in Europe. And there were different... Different wars mm-hmm. fought over the sure. millennia. But um, some cultures of Indians wear their, uh, if they wear a ring on their left hand in modern times, it's a friendship ring. Mm-hmm. And they would wear their wedding ring on their right hand, which they would consider their heart hand. Okay. So, he's a friendly Indian. He's wearing a silver ring on his left hand. Sure. In an effort to personalize him a little bit as an individual mm-hmm. rather than... Uh, a uh, generic Indian. Sure. But I did use um, Chief Cook, who was the uh, chief. I had a great picture of him presenting deer on Thanksgiving to um, to Governor. Um, I can't think of the governor's name now, but it's a D name. I'll mm-hmm. think of it in a minute. But anyway, and that picture was famous. It was uh, put in the Times Dispatch back in the fifties, I believe. Okay. Oh, right. Actually, it's actually not that long ago that I saw that, and they revived this tradition. It went back from the That's colonial right. days, right? Where um, when basically the, the Europeans said we're going to take your land, and they said well, we'll live peacefully. You just have to give us tribute, and right. It was in the fifties, and they revived this tradition. Okay. Well, Chief Cook had a real, uh, a real good face and a great profile that uh and there there were a number of pictures of him so i used him along with other cultures of indian portraits to uh to try to do a conglomerate so that if if a um seminole or if a lakota sioux saw connecticut 
they would go, well, you know, he does look more Indian than Caucasian or Asian. Right. But um, that's not us. Right. You know, it isn't. I'll grant it, it's a Native American, but it's not Lakota Sioux or it's not Seminole or, you know, uh, California. Sure, sure. Yeah. And so he had, um, so you said it was mixed opinions at the diamond. Because I guess, we'll, like, before we skip that, how did he, so he's at, he's on the um, the Best Products building, and how does he arrive at, at the diamond? It was a corporate decision that um, Sidney Lewis uh, became, <clears throat> um, well, Andy Lewis took the helm for a while. And when he did, Sidney Lewis, I guess, was ex-officio, CEO. And um, when that happened, they gave all their artwork to the Virginia Museum. Right. And they, because they didn't own the Indian, they gave them back to me. Okay. With the recommendation that I look at the new baseball stadium. Sure. As a home. Perfect timing. So at the time, I had moved to California because I was talking with uh, the Lewises about doing a, a roof sculpture in Santa Barbara or moving the Indian out there. Okay. Um, that, that changed along with this shift, this corporate shift. And, um, and so I poked around at, uh, in Richmond from California and found that there was interest with the general manager and the Braves baseball team mm -hmm. to open the brand new stadium with, uh, Connecticut peering out over Boulevard. Right. And in measuring for it, it fit perfectly and what i mean by perfectly is completely um it had about 11 inches of clearance between his elbow and one of the concrete beams wow on the only corner rooftop it could go on which was on top of the the concession hot dog stand under the uh the shell sure but it was a great spot it was right over the main ticket um the sales uh, kiosk. Yeah, and it's like coming right up the stairs. Yeah, and and so as you drove by on Boulevard, you couldn't miss it, and it it was a landmark for people who never went to a baseball thing, sure, a baseball game, and um, people wrote about it who visited Richmond as if it were uh, uh, like the Statue of Liberty as they came into the bus terminal, which was right across the street. And wrote letters to the editor, and I got I got you know love letters from people That's I didn't know saying excellent. how much they liked it. Yeah, or in some cases were afraid of it. Oh wow! Yeah, that it gave well, it definitely you know the uh, the settlers would definitely not have gone and it wouldn't have gone that well for them if they the names had been that size. You know, I mean that would have definitely been. Yeah. Uh, well, the the purpose of it was to uh, use architecture as a foil for organic form. Okay. And yeah. uh, and also to make it um, uh, a, a person as opposed to just a generic, like I was saying, right, you know, right, an individual. Mm -hmm. um, it had mixed reviews from the local tribes. Um, okay. Some uh, chiefs came out in favor of it. Said they thought it um, it was great that yeah. it, that it brought attention to the. Uh, the local Virginia Indians and others um, didn't like it um, because of the connection. Well, I, I assume because of the connection with the baseball and mascot status. Right. Um, and I wasn't personally, I wasn't crazy about it, but it, it was a great place to put a 
sculpture because it was out of the rain, out of the freezing uh, snow, and yeah, really out of the sun. Well, it was it was a huge aspect of seeing. I mean, often seeing it now, um, which big fan of the flying squirrels. I kind of bust them up, but um, <laughs> you know, it seems somewhat naked now. Right, yeah. like I, having well, seen it for so long, like I, like it's often like where where there's a stadium, but where's the you know where's the Indian? The interestingly, my understanding was the flying squirrels were okay with leaving it there. Okay, it was the Richmond Metropolitan Authority that wanted to move it. Huh? They apparently felt that it was uh, um, who owned a, it, right? A maintenance liability. Did did they not own it? They did own it because it ended up being purchased from me on a on a Save the Brave campaign that was started the second year it was up. Because huh. I had interest from other um, other places, and I basically said, "Look, the agreement was I would loan it for a year, and after that, you'd either rent it or buy it." Wow. Okay. Because it, you know, there, an aspect of public art is the the money it costs to make it, and Absolutely. ultimately, this was like building a small house. Absolutely. Uh, in terms of my investment, it the 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 pain of of the financial burden was removed by having leased it to Best Products for two years, mm -hmm. but it didn't pay for the sculpture. Sure. And um, so I sold it to Signet Bank, and they donated it to the Richmond Metropolitan Authority uh, in '87, I guess. Right. Um, I, and that's I, now SunTrust. Well, it, it went to yeah. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It, it is now Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo. Okay. Yeah. Well, good. That's my bank. So, thank <laughs> cool. you, Wells Fargo. Yeah, it wasn't I, at the time. It was I don't think Wells different. Fargo has a clue. To tell you sure. the truth. We, hopefully, they'll listen to this and go, "Hey, we we had a part in that." But that's fine. One of the um, when we were doing uh, when I was doing research for a public art tour. Um, it's uh, right in front of the, the Bank of America building, right downtown. It's a gigantic red, like thing, sculpture thing, minimalist right. looking thing. Um, it's uh, I figured out it was a by a guy named James Rosati. It's called uh, Richmond Tripod Three, um, which I find incredibly entertaining. That I, I did. I looked and looked and looked and could not find any evidence of Richmond Tripod One or Two, which <laughs> makes me excited as an artist that you can make. You know one thing and call it like number 88 and yeah. people are like oh he's so pro prolific look yeah. at this um, but uh, when it's I was good trying, idea yeah <laughs> when I was trying to figure out anything like I couldn't find anything about it um, I actually called the building manager uh, who who told me he said you know I don't know anything about it um, but if you can get it off my property you can have it and wow. I was like oh, alright thank you <laughs> I'm glad that you care that much about this thing um but apparently, you know, with a bank, whatever Bank of America was at the time, when they built the building, bought the sculpture, and they had sold it, and, you know, through sales, yeah, they just... I, I know about it. It was first in Merchants back then. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, well, that's, you know, maintenance is always the question. And although the Indian didn't require a lot of maintenance, I mean, he got dusty. Yeah. Um, I waxed him a couple of times while I was on the diamond. But... Um, and, and I think what really did they, happened, did they pay for that? And, that? and I don't want to make it seem like you're like a scoundrel, but it's your time. I mean, did they pay you for that? Or no, was that like you just did that out of your kindness of your heart. No, I then? just uh, I just didn't like seeing it so dusty. Okay, fair enough. And and to be fair, they did wash it a couple times on their own. 
All right. So, um, yeah. But I, I'm not sure. You know, um, uh, I do know one of the things that would happen is people would come by and want to take pictures of it. And they would stand, um, they'd want to climb in, they'd ask permission if they could go up, you know, when there wasn't a baseball team there. Right. Out of town, they're bringing their aunt by who's visiting Richmond or something. I, I also know that uh, groups of school uh, kids in buses came by to see it. Wow. And they would ask permission to walk up the stairs and look mm -hmm. at it. And so this was a, a burden for the Diamond, uh, for, okay. the, for the Richmond Braves. Right. But for the Diamond, as the, or the RMA who owned it, it was they considered it a liability. Yeah, to have people walking around or whatever. But you know, and it's it, it's a balancing act, right, between uh, you know a, a landmark and a liability, right, to where people it becomes a destination versus do we want this a destination? You know, there's not a game on. Do I want to? You know, yeah. Is it cost effective to have people care about this right now? Well, another example uh, was. The Richmond um, Tourism Office that was at the time was out on Robin Hood Road and uh, Boulevard mm -hmm. in, a in a train station. Um, the woman who was running that asked me if I would do a T-shirt design of the Indian, and I did. And it's the it's a it's a graphic of the Indian holding a block letters that says Richmond, Virginia. Mm -hmm. And stars around the top that says uh, "Home of the Brave, Richmond, Virginia." Yeah, doesn't say "Home of the Braves," right? As in Braves baseball. It just it does say at the Diamond Ballpark, right? And um, so I offered that to the manager of the Braves, uh, Bruce Baldwin, and uh, he, I left it t-shirt in his office because he wasn't there and he called me up threatening to sue me if i attempted to sell any of these and wow he insisted they be taken off the off the shelves at the tourist center well that was a shock to me yeah but i imagine his his gripe his complaint was that we were marketing uh branding of the braves that wasn't the braves branding right sure so i can understand that. Yeah. But in the meantime, they'd sold out in the month that they had uh, a gross of uh, in uh, Braves T-shirts, and sure. they wanted more. But it was like, look, I'm, I don't want to get entangled in this. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but uh, I still, I still have a few I give away for Christmas from time to time. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> um. So you know, but when the when the squirrels. Uh, moved in um, there was there was talk of leaving it there were, they the RMA actually asked me if I would do a flying squirrel form if they gave me the Indian back okay but the truth is they wanted to give it to Powhatan uh, high school uh -huh. and they couldn't just give it to Powhatan high school because it would look like they slighted um, Henrico warriors I think the Henricos the warriors um, Anyway, um, there's Henrico, and then there's um, another local high school that have the uh, Indian theme as their right. mascot. So um, I didn't like any of those ideas, and uh, that's why I got involved. And I actually wrote a, uh, as a guest columnist, got 
featured an op-ed on a Sunday uh, writing why I thought Connecticut ought to go in a building overlooking the James River. Okay, and the Times-Dispatch. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And um, and it ended up um, uh, that Mead West Vega was interested, but that didn't work out. Uh-huh. And ultimately, that's how it ended up at um, Odell Architecture Building, sure. which is the Lucky Strike Building at the end of East Carey Street. Yeah. And that's a great site in that it overlooks um, the tidal basin, the, the same tidal basin that uh, Chief Powhatan managed to settle the 13 um, not-so-friendly tribes so that people could fish and hunt during peak seasons and right. not kill each other. Yeah, which is important. Pretty cool. Yeah. And then when we had the unveiling, um, uh, three of the of the seven um, active local tribes showed up and oh, wow. uh, in a powwow and danced and sang and there were speeches um, head of Indian Affairs came down from Washington and gave a nice talk. That's great. Um, and it, it was a happy day. Now, the, where would they, where were it? Like down in the Great Shiplocks Park? Yeah, we, the, the city in, closed in the, the street. This, and okay, they so set up a stage. Closed Canal Street? Uh-huh. Okay. And, um, um, and Odell gave a $7,000 scholarship to, um, uh, to a Native American who would study architecture. Wow. So it, it had a great send-off. A year later, I got a call from um, a, a local chief who wanted to know what the city was doing this year. And oh. I said, well, I, I think it's on you. If you want to do something, we could do it. I'll, yeah. I'll be glad to participate in any way I can help. But, um, you know, all you need to do is claim the park. Right, yeah, and, absolutely. And it was opened... Uh, in early November, which, who knew, is Native American History Month. Right, sure. <laughs> so it's an ideal time to, to claim it. But, like I said, the reason there are different tribes is because they don't all have the same agenda. Absolutely. And uh, so I think, it, uh, I think it's a, a piece of sculpture that gets appreciated and... I think that one of the purposes of art is it, certainly public art, is that it creates a need to know. Yeah. It creates a curiosity. It creates, it offers previously untried thinking matter, if you will. Sure. And when people look at the, at the Indian and they go, well, what is that doing there? Then it offers a little bit uh, toward the story of uh, there were there were prehistoric people and Native Americans in Richmond, absolutely, um, millennia before the white man showed up. Yeah, no and doubt. We need to pay attention to that. And I think it has a really amazing effect where it is because um, you know that deeper quality. And there's also just, I mean, and I think and I think it's one of the really cool things about the sculpture is it also is it's like oh, that's a gigantic Indian. You know, I mean, that in itself is like, you know, while it seems more superficial, it's a really cool thing because it's um, it's bringing attention to the fact that, that build, what that building looks like, what Tobacco Row looks like, um, to, you know, even just taking your mind, you know, again, to the fact that these people existed. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't know how you feel about this, but the I've somewhat built in my own head how perfect it is where it lives 
Um, Connecticut, um, you know, I've seen it a couple different definitions in the Algonquin, which is basically a long tidal river, right? Um, so it's a long, it's almost parallel to the beginning of the par to the uh, the tidal section of the river, right? Which kind of is the beginning there, and then it's also if you look down, um, you know, where that uh, border is, um, or I guess the parking lot between what was M Wine Bar in behind what is uh, the Concord Public and just beside what is, uh, uh, you know, the, the boathouse. If anyone's ever been to any of those places, they par probably parked in that lot. There's a very good chance that you could park in Richmond or Henrico. Right. Right. The, the line goes right through there. So as you come around the corner, it's about as soon as you hit the proper Richmond water, right, where you're no longer in Henrico waters, you know, Connecticut's looking right down there at you. I and mean, I think that's a, that's a beautiful sentiment. It is. Um, the best view is from out in your kayak or canoe or sure. boat in the river. There's no doubt. Um, which, which is really amazing to, you know, because there's not enough boats or kayak. I mean, there's not enough people in the river, right? And there never will be, I guess, in my opinion. But Maybe not in our lifetime. I think, you know, that's the, that's the rub is um, what we have in the form of the James is such an asset to the city yeah. and it's, and it is recognized by the population now. And uh, on a nice day, you can barely get on the bridge going to Belle Isle. Sure. So many people are enjoying it. And, um, I think the flash in the pan of having James river raft company down there by the boathouse restaurant, um, and it, you know, coming and going, it left because the city gave it such a hard time basically. Right. So the city, really needs to pick up the ball that it's dropped repeatedly in terms of not appreciating the asset of the river. Um, right. There ought to be canoeing down there. There ought to be, you know, little um, sunfish or sailfish or mercuries sure. that you could sail around in or well, like, you know, like in, Washington. I mean, Washington is in, the in the, to, to defend, just to plant the devil's advocate, to, to defend the city, um, you know, it's really not that long ago that that was... The the heartbeat of the commercial aspect. You know, uh, I, I didn't. Yeah, you're right. Which and, which and is a it's a weird thing because this happened actually last uh, you know last Earth Day for some reason I feel like so many people kept saying like oh these hippies they did this Earth you know protest and we got a day like great what you know but if you really think about you know when the 60s and 70s that was where you know they were dumping massive amounts of chemicals in the river yeah. and then you know. By the 80s, we had an Earth Day, and people, you know, now want to live by the river. But, you know, Richmond uh, has become hip. Yeah, and, um, and it's, we're not the fastest. No. You know, we're not, you know, but I, I'm proud we're, of, we're I'm getting proud. there. I am proud of Richmond, and I'm proud, I, I'm proud living here, And I, but I do recognize, having been here for 30 years in, my, in the second iteration here, that we are 30 years, or 20 years behind uh, a lot of other cities. Sure. Here. It's okay, you know, because uh, we're making headway. And, right. Uh, and, but I do think there will be boating and, and, uh, yeah, it's coming and, and, uh, and it is happening. Yeah. It's just not happening as fast as it's probably should. Well, you know, there used to be a boathouse on Mayo Island. You, you probably know. About right. That. A baseball field. And I mean, speaking field. of going back to the, you know, right. the diamond, yeah. <laughs> um, which, uh, Tate field, which a little, uh, Little discussion about that on the uh, the last baseball episode that I had. It was actually pretty oh, cool. awesome. Um, but um, which 
I, you know, seems like no one's doing. They they could fix that to put the stadium there, but nobody cares what I think. And, well, I don't know about that. I think uh, just a plug for what you're doing. I think it's appropriate that you've got this uh, archive system set up. I mean, hooray for the internet! You know? Right. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. So uh, even before we get into um, Arthur Rash, like the you because after Connecticut you did uh, the Headsman. Right, right. That's true. Um, and that was when that was a late eighties, um, mid eighties. Yeah, let's see. It, it actually got the headman got done twice because right. um, I, I, I did it. I did it first um, as a fiberglass figure on a wooden boat, mm-hmm. a cypress boat, and um, and then a year to the day that it went up, it was stolen. Um, it was also prom, yeah. It was also prom night um, for Richmond Henrico in Hanover. Oh wow! And so it, it was almost like a Hardy Boys episode where <laughs> you could see the tire tracks and the beer cans and where they dragged the sculpture. Oh. And somebody in preparation had gone down and sawed through the um, the various steel attachments to the fiberglass figure from the concrete and from the wood. Holy smokes. And so they just had to come down and do a couple more swipes with the saw and put sure. it in a pickup and peel out. Right. But the reason I, I mentioned the prom night is that it, um, I, at that point, was doing um, uh, a Partners in the Art presentations in high schools around the area. Mm-hmm. And I was out in Hanover at a uh, um, at one of their high schools and somebody said, you know, I know what happened to the headman because I was talking about the headman. Right. And it had been replaced in bronze at that point. And, um, and it ended up being dumped at a quarry out in Hanover. Yeah. And that's where it was found and it had hundreds of bullet holes in it. Like about washing machines and the refrigerators that are also dumped out there. Sure. But at any rate, so my point being, it wasn't brought there for target practice. It was dumped there, and then um, it was used as target practice. Yikes! Yeah. And the and the uh, ruin is still uh, owned by the Black History Museum. Right. It sits out behind their building. Right. I've tried to get it buried. The city's. We just haven't been able to get everybody in the same place at the same time. But the city has been, on two occasions, been willing to backhoe a hole next to this, to the Headman Monument and bury it. On Browns Island? Yeah. Oh, that would be... Which would be cool. Yeah. It would be a nice ceremony. It would be a good place for it. Sure. If you wanted to dig it up in 50 years, it would still be relatively intact because it would have been sealed up. Yeah. the dirt. But... Um, so I hold out that we'll get to do that. Too. Yeah. But. And, um, and it's somewhat sad because, um, which I know the Black History Museum, last time I was there, they were in preparations for, um, and, you know, there's just not enough money in history. Um, but it was just, you know, it's underneath, it, last time I saw it, it was underneath the stairs. That's and it was just yeah. it, it was just in this sad Fire kind of stuff. like space that just was like, you well, know. In a way, it's a good place to store it because it's out of the sun. The right. sun's a problem. And, but uh, freeze-thaw is a problem, too. Mm-hmm. It gets wet. But um, 
and it more looks sad than it did than I think it probably actually was. And hopefully, when you know when they can get the new museum opened, it'll have you know yeah. a place to live. But um, but yeah. Well, uh, and, I'll let you know how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> and was there racial talk of that? Because I know that was like. A, oh yeah, it got everybody excited, and so that's where um, a story of beneficial society helped fundraise um, 20, I think the budget was 24000 mm-hmm. So um, I redid the statue in clay and cast it into fiberglass, um, into, into lost wax with a plaster mold and had it cast up in Connecticut foundry. And, um, and uh, they did it pretty much at cost. Wow. Yeah. So, and I didn't take any pay to redo it. Uh, oh, wow. And, um, but interestingly, that, the doing of that in, and getting it cast in bronze, I'd done it, uh, that was like my fourth larger than life figure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd never done one in bronze. Sure. And that, uh, it was after that that I met Arthur Ashe uh, at a clinic. Um, held by the city, that I drove my daughter and kids from the recreation center to locally to mm-hmm. go see him at Bird Park. And it was having that experience of casting that piece, making it in, in clay at, uh, for free. I did that for free sure. for the headman, uh, the boatman. And, um, but it gave me the idea that I could do uh, a statue of Arthur Ashe in clay, if he authorized me to do it, uh, it would be like writing a book. Yeah. And if he didn't like it, if he wouldn't approve it, in this case, instead of um, going ahead and casting it, I would just say, well, okay, that was practice. Yeah. So my goal was to do an authorized and approved statue of Arthur Ashe. Yeah. With, obviously with his permission. And I wouldn't have... I probably wouldn't have thought of that if I hadn't gone through the process of getting the headman cast in bronze. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, given our discussion, um, the other the other confluence of circumstance that made this work was um, the fact that the Indian at the Diamond was right next to the Arthur Ashe Center. Right. So when I wrote to Mr. Ashe nine months after having met him and heard him speak and being duly impressed with the fact that here's this world-famous and loved Richmonder who shows up and there's there's barely 30 adults in the audience, 60 or more kids, because that's sure. who it was for. So maybe that was it. But there were, there were at least uh, two dozen news, uh, press, and media uh, people there. Mm-hmm. Where is everybody? You know, right. Wh- why isn't the hometown hero getting its due? Yeah. So, in a sense, like the Indian, uh, there being no Indians and in no Native Americans in the capital of America, here is Arthur Ashe with no acknowledgement to him being a world uh, known and appreciated figure. Right. Born and educated and raised in Richmond. Absolutely. So, um, well, when and, I wrote and by that time, the there's Bojangles, which is, I, I could be wrong, 1973, 
think that's right. Um, there's the headsman, which you had also done, and that's the only statues to black people in the city that that I know. That, you know, this is the first yeah, two. Yeah, at the time. Yeah. Actually, um, let's see, I guess I did, I did the bust of Mr. Hill. Um, uh, I did that for the Black History Museum uh, in 98 okay. because I was on the board and I was leaving the board and I didn't have money to give the board so I said I'll I'll do a, I'd like to do a bust of Mr. Hill. Okay. And I I knew I had met Oliver Hill and really appreciated both his legacy as well as knowing him personally. Yeah. So that was an easy one to do. But that became a in 2000 I guess that was after Arthur Ashe. I'm sorry. I, I got that wrong. So Sure. Um, doing the bust of Mr. Hill is after Arthur Ash, yeah. Right. But, um, so but so it, that means you've done two, three, and four. <laughs> yeah. As far as number of. Well, I didn't. Uh, yeah. yeah. I didn't do Bo Jangles. That, that yeah. was Jack Witt. Right. So you got two, three, and four. Yeah. So. Um, but, you know, by being able to include pictures of Connecticut in my letter to Mr. Ash, I knew that he would have seen that work. Mm hmm. And I also knew that if he didn't like Connecticut, he wouldn't go from, he wouldn't respond positively right. to what I was suggesting. But, um, so that, that uh, both the headman in terms of giving me the uh, confidence to be able to uh, do a nine, in the case of the headman, it was a nine foot figure, uh, the ash was 12 feet, mm -hmm. but, um, be able to do that and have it cat and have it cast um, was due to the headman, and then Mr. Ash saying yes, he would like this to go forward was due to the Indian. Yeah. Um, but that's how that happened. I I, I heard him speak uh, nine months later. I wrote him. There was also the Black Sports Hall of Fame. Um, I was finishing the redo of the headman and spoke to. Clarence Towns, who at the time was head of uh, Richmond Renaissance, which has become Venture Richmond. Mm -hmm. And Clarence Towns said, well, what are you working on next? And I said, I want to do the authorized and approved statue of Arthur Ashe. And his, I said this to him in his office, and he slapped his hand down on his desk, and he said, how can I help you do that? Yeah. And I said, you can get a letter to him for me. I don't have his address. And so he wrote them, and uh, that evolved into, we could do this for the Black Sports Hall of Fame. It would look great there. And, and, and where's that? Well, there wasn't one. There was, okay. But Arthur Ashe wanted there to be one in Richmond. Sure. And he was going to chair That's... the fundraising. Okay. And then he died. Right. But after he called me, and he said, um, how do we do this? How do we, how do we start doing a statue? Mm-hmm. And um, that conversation lasted about 20 minutes, and um, he had my letter in front of him, and I said, well, I want this to be how you want to be seen, and with your message that you want to leave, and your legacy. It's so, you to, to Arthur Ashe we're talking yeah. about, right? Yeah, okay. And he, he knew that. He had a shopping list. I pretty much said that in my letter, but he said, um, I want to... I want to be involved with children, 
and I don't want to be the center of attention. I want to. I don't. I don't want it to just be about me. Um, books need to be um, featured as the uh, knowledge is uh, power. And um, I want to be in my tennis warm-ups. Uh, my shoelaces will be untied. Um, and um, I want to be like I am today. And at that point, I said, well, how much do you weigh? Because I knew he was, I knew he was dying of AIDS because that's, that's what had um, fleshed out all the media when he came to Richmond to do his, um, his presentation. Right, the, the kids' workshop. Oh, wait, that's not like they didn't have just figured out that he. Because I knew it had slipped. It basically, he, he had kept his secret. Exactly right. And it slipped out. So was that like one of the first times he'd come out, or it was? Oh wow! Yeah. I did not realize that. Yeah, and that's probably it is the reason. One of the reasons, certainly, that there were so many news people present. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, I guess, in '93. Uh, okay. And um, um, so my goal was to listen to him, mm-hmm. but I remember asking him how much he weighed because I needed to know what his what this presentation was going to look like. Yeah, and um, and so I, it's it's appropriate to me that um, he got to say all those things, but um, but anyway. Uh, I said we ended saying he would send me some photographs, I would send him some drawings, and we would talk again uh, next month. And um, on the Thursday before the Saturday, I was going to go up to New York. I I was going to go up to meet with him. Um, I called and didn't get an answer. Called the Friday, didn't get an answer. And it was the Friday he went to the hospital. And... Um, and he died that Saturday. Brutal. So, um, not having heard from him, not having my messages answered, it was Sunday that I read he had died in the newspaper, wow. local paper. And it was the following Wednesday that I went to his funeral at the Ash Center. And Mayor Dinkins from New York had come down, and Governor Wilder was there speaking, and a number of luminaries along with the other two or 3,000 people that showed up. And when I got back from that funeral service, there was a, a package addressed to me with the return address of A. Ash, New York, and inside it were photographs of a little post-it note. And oh, it said, wow. um, let's talk, I just wanted you to have these, let's talk soon, A. Ash. Wow. So, the situation was that um, I had this agreement to do a statue of him, but he now he's dead. Mm-hmm. And what? Who do I say? Who do I tell about this? And what do I say? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I I wrote two weeks later to his wife. I told her what had happened, and she wrote a fax back and said, "I know all about it. I'm the one who mailed you the photographs." Oh wow! Uh, it's the last thing he did before he went to the hospital. Holy smokes. So I felt I had to Yeah. I had to continue with the project. And she ended with saying I'd like to come to your studio and see how it's going. Well it hadn't started yet. I hadn't drawn <laughs> I, 
Um, so I. Um, I it's be- a lot pressured. You can't began- disappoint a widowed, you know, a widow at that point. Yeah. Hey, yeah. yeah, holy smokes. Um, meanwhile, the Black Sports Hall of Fame had fallen apart because he's no longer. And Jeannie Ash did not want to be chair of that. So I didn't. I just read about that in the paper, but yeah. I went ahead with the project. She came to visit over the next nine months, uh, three times, finally, with the final visit, uh, approving it, and signing up um, his mother and his stepmother, uh, his sister, stepsister rather, um, his cousin, and the la- and his aunt, uh, and finally his brother came to look at statue. He was the last person to see it. And did they all live, still live in the area? Um, or were they no. From, no, they were ever, ever scattered? Um, well, in Virginia. Okay. Uh, his brother lives in Atlanta. Okay. Um, but his, bro- his brother's comment, and, and this, you know, when you get it looking like the person, especially uh, post-mortem, um, it's a very moving experience. So, a lot of tears and a lot of joy, mm-hmm. but um, his brother, his brother's comment was, "This looks more like Arthur than I could have possibly imagined." Wow! So it does look like Arthur Ashe, and I was also encouraged along the way to make him stand straighter. Um, Arthur was very formal. Arthur mm-hmm. would have liked to have been. You know, he, he was very thin. So, uh, um, the challenge was to make him uh, fill heroic imagery, at, and yet still being 128 pounds at 6 feet 1 inch. Right. Dying of AIDS, which is what he asked for. Sure. So, in a way, it's a, it's a comment about, uh, about the AIDS epidemic at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also meant um, I, the, what I was able to do was putting him in a blousey warm-up suit made it that uh, there's a certain, I like to think of as poetic narrative in, in the armor of, his, uh, yeah. of his uniform. Um, and, uh, and so the, the piece itself... Um, turned out to be exactly what the city appointed um, Arthur Ashe Memorial Committee uh, was hoping for and didn't know they were hoping for. Right. And this is just spontaneously organized. I had no idea, and they had no idea. Sure. When I finished it, I contacted the people at the city who had contacted Arthur Ashe before, which was the economic development, and they sent me to this uh, committee that was going to honor Arthur Ashe, and basically they came up with renaming the boulevard the Arthur Ashe Boulevard. Right. Uh, but coming, they came to look at the, at that point I had done a proof casting of the clay, and uh, it, and they came and looked at it, and then they brought it to city council. I had also, at um, various people suggested I contact Virginia Heroes, which was an organization started by Arthur Ashe. Mm-hmm to mentor sixth graders, 600 sixth graders a year. They agreed to be the fundraising 
mechanism. And so pieces started to coalesce, and uh, when we unveiled it at the, um, at the uh, Virginia Heroes event, Doug Wilder was co-chair of fundraising, mm-hmm. um, and um, uh, he was advised not to mention where he thought it should go, which was Monument Avenue. Right. A number of sites were considered at that time. But first thing out of his mouth was, this statue ought to be on Monument Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 yeah. So, so, as mayor, it was not the first time that as, he said things that were, uh, you know, advised as not to governor, say. He was governor yeah. of Godwin. Then. I mean, Gus Godwin. Oh, Gus, he was governor, governor, governor Waller, Waller at the time. Oh, yeah. man, yeah, so. Um, so, um, ironically, I, uh, right at the finish of that, I was asked by Godwin High School to do a bust of Governor Godwin, who yeah. came into the studio. And um, it was an interesting juxtaposition of having Arthur Ashe and Governor Godwin standing in my studio at the same time. Sure. Godwin having uh, turned his back on... Uh, massive resistance in his first governorship and in his second governorship starting um, the uh, community college system. Right. Interesting. Kind of clashing a history there. Sure. Anyway, um, so... And when would they have ever hung out? (laughs) Right. That's That's, that's my point. Yeah, they would never have been like, you want to go grab a coffee? Yeah. Not going to happen. but anyway, so so with uh, Wilder saying Monument Avenue, that's when the shit hit the fan and uh, it had to go before. Although the statue had been approved by a couple of commissions at that point, it hadn't gone, that pushed it into city council right. for approval. And, um, and um, that's when um, people from... Uh, the Confederate uh, Heritage, Confederate History Organization showed up speaking against it. Um, it had been pictured in the paper, that was it, and the picture was of a white plaster-proof statue, mm-hmm. and there were people who came to that first city council meeting armed with the opinion that a white statue of a black man shouldn't be on <laughs> Monument Island. Right. So that's how how in-depth some people's opinions were sure. uh, were based in that kind of, you know, information, lack of information. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was also the beginning of the uh, Citizens for Excellence in Public Art who were sure that if there was going to be a statue of Arthur Ashe, it shouldn't be done by me. It should, it, the sculpture should be uh, chosen by a, um, a commission. Right. And um, so um, I, I continued working on the, on the children. Um, we had to pick a site on Monument Avenue. Well, actually, that, that was not foregone at that conclusion at that point. Um, there was a committee set up by the council, site selection committee, and we looked at a number of sites, the predominantly uh, intersection of Robin Hood and Boulevard, Mm-hmm. Um, possibly at the end of Boulevard at Bird Park, but that that pretty much was the best spot was occupied by Columbus, 
Right. And moving Columbus would have been another. Uh, another sure. Uh, like racial kerfuffle. That would have been the Italians would have been up stuff in our. And the Catholics. And yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so, then Robert Bob, who's city manager, and a number of people, but it came Sorry, the, guy, the guy's name was Robert Bob? Bob Bob. That's a fantastic name. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. What were his parents thinking? Uh, my God, something great or something terrible. Yeah. I don't, nothing in between. Well, it That's worked for well sure. for him. He's, yeah. he's a brilliant man. I think he's now head of uh, uh, education in either Detroit, but he was, I think, Detroit. Maybe city manager of Detroit. We were, it was too bad we lost him. Yeah. But um, there was an ordinance that the next statue on Monument Avenue would go at Roseneath and Monument, which is just outside of the historic district. Okay. Um, we had looked at a couple other sites on Monument Avenue. None of them were as good. But with that decree, uh, um, Robert Bob took the opinion that uh, it sh that's where it should go. And so I redesigned the base and had to redesign the ash figure so that it it would fit in a drive-by like that. Mm -hmm. um, it was the base and the statue were originally designed to be um, walk-up, not drive-by. Okay. Memorial slash monument. But... Um, it it meant that this had to be reconsidered, and given that site, we started uh, taking what we had so that I could uh, do a proposal that it would fit and bring it to the uh, city planning commission, and then ultimately they they were going to vote on it, but to pass it on to the city council as well. Sure. Again, for the second time. Yeah. For a second vote. Um, it was like a year and a half later because council had, sh had switched mm -hmm. another vote their new members um, so the city planning commission voted unanimously this is after urban design committee after commission for architecture review everybody unanimously voted that it, it that the statute passed muster and that uh, and that it should go on my Manhattan. yeah um, so when it went before city council um, it was unanimous with one abstention, and that was with uh, Mr. Conrad, who was the councilman for the section of the city that uh, where the statue was going to go. He oh, wow. Um, and, uh, and then after that, an interesting thing happened. Um, the mayor came up with $100,000. That was Leonidas Young. And he spent that money hiring someone to resuscitate the Black Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, so Mr. Harris was now the director of the Black Sports Hall of Fame. And with the extra $10,000, they did a video as to how the Black Sports Hall of Fame would be fitting in Richmond, Virginia. Yeah. And how the Arthur Ashe Monument should be there. Not on Monument Avenue. Right. Call the question the whole ordeal. So, um, so they flew up to see Jeannie, the mayor, 
and Mr. Harris. And the reason that I forget how I learned this now. <laughs> I can't remember how. But I was in New York at the time. And somehow I I was, I guess I was supposed to be in touch with Jeannie Ash. That's what it was. Uh -huh. And uh, and uh, the mayor and Mr. Harris were there talking, showing her the video and asking her to be the fundraising chair again, asking her again yeah. of the Black Sports Hall of Fame, which she agreed to. Okay. Um, and it was after that that she wrote a letter on the 1st of January saying that putting the statue on Monument Avenue was honoring Richmond more than it was honoring her husband, and she didn't agree with that. Right. So yeah. um, that called it all into question again. And then there was uh, an effort by the Citizens for Excellence in Public in Art, Citizens for Excellence in Art, Public Art, Citizens for Excellence in Art, to go back to City Council with a proposal that they have a uh, competition, an international competition to choose a sculptor to do the monument, Dr. Right. Ash. And um, she's saying there shouldn't even be a statue of him there. They're right. saying, wait, it's the artist that's the problem. She's saying, no, it's the location that's the problem. Right. Right. So she it's said a, the artist was fine. She needed, sure. liked me fine, liked the statue. Right, yeah, yeah. But she did not like Richmond putting it on Monument Avenue sure. at this point. Um, the other thing that happened is she realized that she realized the Black Sports Hall of Fame wasn't generating any money. They didn't raise any money. Yeah. And she quit as fundraising chair. So all this was going on while uh, council one more time listened to uh, a debate as to where the statue should go. And um, it was agreed that it would go on Monument Avenue and the Black Sports Hall of Fame would have three years to raise money to $20 million. And once that was done, if they made it a reality, then the statue would be moved to the Black Sports Hall of Fame. Huh. How about that? That would have been a heck of a thing. It would have been. If they're moving it. And, yeah. But it that's what was agreed to. Sure. And uh, three years came and, came and left. Yeah. And Jeannie quit the chairmanship, and it never went anywhere. Right. Um, so is there any idea what she th thinks about it being online? She's still alive, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything... Uh, does she object to it, or...? No, I think her... Uh, I know that she feels the same way. She feels that uh, she was treated... She feels like the treatment of the statue was putting it on Monument Avenue was uh, honoring Richmond, not Arthur Ashe. Right. It got a lot of attention to Richmond, a lot of positive attention to Richmond. But of course, the converse of that is had Richmond not done it at that point with international coverage of this controversy. Absolutely. Um, it would have been a black eye for Richmond. Right. Um, but and it's also, it, it is somewhat of a shame um, that there was so much controversy as opposed to just an unadulterated look at how incredible this person was, right? And the controversy somewhat takes away from the fact that, um, you know, this guy is just that incredible, right? I mean, he's... Well, I think the controversy, 
I think that um, what happens in public art when it works is that there's a um, there's a, a, a re-revelation over time, and mm -hmm. in this case, there is a revelation as to what Monument Avenue stood for. That would yeah. be an avenue of heroes, and um, and who Arthur Ashe was. Yeah, and um, so this this is what's happened uh, just recently. Because every once in a while, people come forward and say, well, why is this on Monument Avenue? This is an avenue for Civil War generals. In right. Fact, just last week, there was a letter to the editor in Style Magazine. Exactly that. Wow. Um, the statue's, Still. Yeah. <laughs> um, the statue's fine. We are recording this in 2014, so people aren't right. <laughs> surprised here. Uh, and so, it, it's um, to, to me, that's... At the time, to your point, um, I think the controversy uh, did honor Arthur Ashe. It made it clearer that um, he should be honored as a hero. Mm -hmm. um, after it was unveiled, um, my favorite, it, it's been reviewed by a number of people who've published criticism on it, books that have been published on it. Um, there are a couple standouts. One of them uh, is by the Washington Post, not a book, but the Washington Post. And their art and architecture critic came to Richmond, did not interview me, but uh, researched Monument Avenue. And um, about the Arthur Ashe Monument, he said in four pages that went Associated Press with pictures, about the Arthur Ashe Monument, he said, placing this statue of Arthur Ashe on Richmond's Monument Avenue was the most important thing to happen in Virginia in the entire 20th century. Wow. So that... That's okay. Was That's okay. got to help your ego, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be all right. <laughs> and then a number of books. Uh, uh, there was a book written on Monument Avenue uh, that came out afterward, and a great concluding paragraph about uh, race in Richmond and that particular statue, which... Um, was successful in, in as much as it's appreciated by people, um, in particularly black people in Richmond who come to see it, and um, and also um, what it does for Monument Avenue. You know, correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like you've you know, implied a little bit as time goes on. You know that uh, um, it seems like there is a I, maybe you didn't imply this at all. Maybe I just I just wanted to say this, but. Um, you know, who knows? But um, you could imply it, right? So the uh, I'm not even going to imply it. I'm just going to flat say it with words. Um, but the um, monuments in general, a lot of their power comes from the the amount of time they've sat there. If that I don't know if that makes any sense, but um, you know, at this point, if you wanted to build a gigantic and let's not even play games. Like, Robert E. Lee, that statue is gigantic. If you were to build a statue to Robert E. Lee right now, people would say, you're out of your mind. Right. But because it sat there for so long, suddenly we say, you know what, he was a good guy. He was a hero. You know, he deserved a statue. Right? Whether we, you know, you know, and not specifically to pick on Lee, but just to say that that, you know, 
it well, gives credibility to him. Yeah, this is. I guess this is where I, what I wanted to say that this the revelation. It's a continual, a continuum of revelation when public art has a value. And yeah. The Robert E. Lee monument has a value. Yeah. It it has a value because we can look at uh, in a window from today back into the past at what that yeah. meant. Absolutely. For the South at the time, at this tremendous. Um, uh, tragedy for the nation and, and especially for uh, people of the South. And, yeah. and the same thing's true with the Ash Monument. I mean, what happened in Richmond uh, and the turning of, you know, should Arthur Ashe be on Monument Avenue to why shouldn't Arthur Ashe be on Monument Avenue? Absolutely. Uh, making it an avenue of heroes. Into the future, I mean, there will be other monuments on Monument Avenue. Um, I, I'm certain. Uh, I hope so. But into the future, hopefully in the next 10 years. I mean, yeah. it would be nice to put Maggie Walker. I love it. There. That'd be awesome. But right now, the discussion, uh, in fact, tomorrow is uh, the first public discussion as to where should Maggie Walker go. And they're, you oh, know, wow. They're talking that's about That's excellent. Yeah, it, it's long overdue. But um, That's crazy because that's another, you know, I brought up earlier that you know that the the Bo Jangles is the first black person. They're they're looking at the, the 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 women's monument on the Capitol grounds. There's not a single monument to a woman in the city of Richmond. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. Not a single, not not one. Other, I mean, maybe plaques, but all the monuments. There's not a single one to a I man's monument. Well, there there is a. Uh, it's I don't know that it's publicly displayed, but there is a bronze bust of uh, Mary Tyler Cheek McClanahan. And Mary Tyler was, uh, I met her during the Arthur Ashe years. She was an advocate to put Arthur Ashe on Monument Avenue. Uh, the wife of Leslie Cheek, who essentially started Virginia Museum. Wow, okay. And um, uh, uh, she is, her bust is in bronze that I did. And it's um, at Fallen Creek. Um, there's a there's a child care center out there for the public housing that went up out there in Chesterfield. Mm -hmm. um, I would love to do another bronze of that uh, bust of her, authorized and approved bust of her. Her, sure. her uh, husband, Dr. McClanahan, um, commissioned it. Yeah. Somewhere in Richmond. Um, she's responsible for the housing along Cary Street, the new housing on Cary okay. Street, uh, West Cary Street, mm -hmm. for example, and a number of um, uh, housing projects and projects in sure. Richmond. Anyway, but, yeah. you're right. There, that's the whole point. Is there's a crying market need yeah. for acknowledgement for our historic uh, heroes and heroines of the past. So, but in, I guess before I get you, did anything happen the day was there were there protests the day it was unveiled? Did um, anything happen there? there? Was there it a were good day? People who uh, showed up uh, in uh, Confederate regalia and with posters. Uh, the the feeling was that Monument Avenue. The, there was a lot of misconception about being in historic Monument Avenue, which mm -hmm. it's not. Okay, it's right on the edge. And so it becomes the beginning of what could be the avenue of heroes. Of, I agree. Uh, modern heroes. And, um, but um, I, uh, 
I think it was appropriate that they were there in terms of reflecting the, that's what I mean by the revelation of the value of the, 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 those monuments to Confederate uh, heroes still have for people today. Mm -hmm. Not for majority of Richmonders, but it's, it's reverence for history past. Yeah. And that's why uh, it's valuable to have these monuments last into the future. Absolutely. Um, Chuck Richardson was a councilman at the, t uh, at the time the Ash Monument started. Mm -hmm. He was convicted of, uh, for drugs, having been um, a Vietnam vet and addicted while he was in Vietnam. Um, and he's put in prison while Ash Monument was going up. Oh, wow. And he wrote me while he was in prison, and I wrote him back. Um, he wrote about that monument. And one of the things he said was he would like to, he would like for me to come visit it with him when he got out of prison. Wow. When he saw it for the first time. So I did. And we stood in front of the Ash Monument, and he said to me, um, this could never have happened in any other country. It makes me so proud to be an American. That's beautiful. And I was... It's, yeah. I had never heard that take on it. Yeah. But truly, America was watching. Uh, and he got that, you know, from reading uh, newspapers, I guess, in prison and other people not be, being embroiled and mixed up in the middle of it in Richmond did not. But... Uh, yeah. But anyway, I'd be... Uh, I'd be happy to talk to you further about uh, what happens next with uh, the, the Ash Monument. Uh, but I, I really do like that idea of uh, continued revelation. So that was it. Thank you very much, Paul. Hope everybody enjoyed that. Hope everybody, uh, you know, again, found it more interesting than you anticipated, like I personally did. If anybody has any comments, questions, let me know. You can email me. Um, J-E-F-F-M-A-J-E-R at historyreplaystoday.org Contact me on Facebook History Replays Today on Tumblr History Replays Today on Twitter at History Replays Do that. Uh, let me know what you think. You can also find out how to sponsor the podcast there. Uh, you can make a, a financial donation you know, by contacting me, going to uh, historyreplaystoday.org Click on the support button. But you also... You know, if you can't make a financial contribution, just tell your friends. Yeah. Tell your cousin. Tell your uncle. You know, that they should all subscribe to the Richmond History Podcast, History Replays Today. And, you know, make it a great day.